So we're reading uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 14, with the majority of our focus on verse 13, I think a well-known Bible verse to many of us. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not pleased, not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And may God bring his blessing to his inspired, inerrant word, and may we take it up in our hearts and lives. Well, our evening service, we are moving along in that uh, ordinance of prayer and how it is to us a tremendous means of grace where we are being blessed by God and are receiving through Christ the benefits of our redemption. Prayer is perhaps one of the greatest ordinances that we take with us all the days of our lives. Uh, unlike uh, preaching, which we probably now more than before, but um, preaching, we hear it on the Lord's Day and we strive to remember it throughout the week. I know many of you probably tune into other things during the week. Uh, your, your minds and hearts can become very full that way. But uh, prayer is something that we carry with us all our days. And it's one of those ordinances that becomes that lifeline between us and God in and through all things. And so we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, understanding how to pray and how our prayers uh, can be covered in all of those petitions that we see within the Lord's Prayer. And we're on what's known as the fifth petition, that part of the Lord's Prayer that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Uh, we're taking this one in two sermons. 
as there is far more than can be covered in one. And really, there's two parts to this. That prayer to God about leading us away from temptation or leading us not into it, but but guarding and keeping us in that manner. And as well, uh, that deliverance that we need from evil. Uh, both are substantive in their, in their own right. Now, I know the thing about this prayer, lead us not into temptation. Uh, we have to be guarded from thinking that we're going to suddenly escape all manners of sin. Uh, it's, it's not that simple. There's always much more to it. We, in hearing that petition uh, and being asked to make that petition, I would dare to say many of us do not necessarily realize all the things that God has led us away from or all the things that God has guarded and kept us from. Uh, we read of Israel when they were brought out of Egypt and that 40 years that they spent wandering in the desert. And we hear all those uh, instructions from verse 6 to verse 12. Uh, Do not be like them. <laughs> some who were this, some who were that. And, and we see God led them and led them through the desert. But temptation met them along the way. And that's part of the reality of this prayer is understanding that we're dealing with our daily lives. And that's why this is to be a daily prayer. And, and when we consider uh, this prayer, we have to be guarded that we don't make our sins a, a matter of false pride. And what do I mean by that? That at times we as Christians can make our sins or the temptations that lead us into sin as part of our own ongoing weakness and inability to resist besetting sins in particular. How many times have you heard someone say as a Christian, well, this is going to be part of my life till I'm with the Lord or this is who I am and people just have to get used to it. Or I struggle with this and I will struggle with this all of my life. I, I tend to lean in that way of saying that those kind of statements are almost a defeated attitude towards this prayer. That what we are realizing with this prayer is that the Lord does want to lead our lives in a way that we are pursuing holiness and finding victory over sin and, and understanding the greater tendencies of temptation that we need to be watchful for and guarded about so that we don't fall in. This petition respects very much the weakness that every one of us have in respect of temptation. There isn't a day, dear people, that you do not experience temptation. But there are many times when we are more or less, and I'll emphasize that one, uh, careless about dealing with temptation. And so this needs to be a daily part of our prayers. 
This petition speaks to us about the loving, guiding, and securing hand of our Father who wants to lead and to protect us from temptation's power. And and we're being engaged by the Father to be aware of temptation's power. And, And aware of His help to lead us away. We also have to be guarding ourselves that we aren't engaging temptation in a careless way. And I think that's, that's the struggle that most of us uh, wrestle with and are less in our thoughts and in our prayers being uh, watchful and sober-minded about. So let's, let's look at this petition. And the first thing we are considering and needs to be considered is the nature of temptation. Even as we make this prayer, we need to understand what temptation is, is and, and where it begins. Temptation itself is not sin and is not inevitably sin. <laughs> and, and we know that from the example of our Lord. He was tempted. We read in Matthew and in Luke the temptations that he faced. And and to understand this very quickly, the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness were equal to, if not greater, than the temptation that Adam had in the garden. (laughs) And they were greater in the sense that in the garden, Adam did not have a body of death to deal with that temptation. Adam was not in a wilderness where he was in want and lacking to deal with those temptations. But he dealt with the temptation of the lust of the flesh, of the lust of the eyes or coveting, and of the pride of life. And you look at the temptations that Christ faced. They are identical. The lust of the flesh, the 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 lust of the eyes, coveting the kingdoms of the world, uh, pride, that whole issue of tempting God. And, and he dealt with those temptations without sinning. And so that does give us encouragement that even when we are facing temptations, it doesn't mean that that temptation is its sin. Now, it can very quickly turn to sin. And that's the issue that we're dealing with. Our struggle with temptation is for it not to become sin. Now we need to understand that word temptation as part of understanding the nature of temptation. And for that we're turning to James chapter 1 for a moment. uh, Before we examine a little bit more. I want us to understand this word temptation and the nature of temptation. And you go to James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says there, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. 
And he's making the point there that temptation, again, is not necessarily sin. But it leads to sin. And this is the guarding that we need. And God wants to be part of that guarding in our lives. Now, that word tempted that you see uh, repeated several times in verses 13 and 14. It is the same word if you go back up to uh, verse 2. It is the same word as trial. It's something to understand. This word is multifaceted when it is used in Scripture. Temptation can be a testing. And a testing by uh, being led into a circumstance. Uh, Jesus is the example of that. He was led into the desert to be tried, to undergo trials. And we understand that was a temptation. Led by the Spirit to be tempted. The Spirit wasn't tempting him, but the Spirit brought him to that place where Satan would tempt him. But from the perspective of God, it was a testing. Just as it was with Adam. God was testing the Uh, obedience of Adam in the garden. Satan is the one who came and tempted him. But those words are interchangeable. It it can address the whole issue of trials. And and why I'm setting that before you is you're, you're going to see very soon why it's important to understand that because that trial can very quickly turn in the hands of Satan or because of our hearts into a time of temptation and disobedience against God. That's reality. Or temptation can mean, as James brings out in verses 13 and 14, that enticement to sin. But the thing to understand here, uh, two sides of it, is, is it's not God who is tempting anyone to sin. God does not want sin. He does not want it to reign in our lives. And God is not going around trying to lead people into sin. Not even the unbeliever. God is not leading them to sin. It is either Satan who is utilizing the things of this world uh, in an overt or negative way to, to corrupt us. Or it is the corrupt desires of our hearts that are being enticed. But it's always a working upon our hearts. The the issue of sin is found within us. And we have, as as John would summarize it in 1 John 2, that that the things of this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of life, those lusts and pride are issues of sin within us. And what temptation is about is trying to entice those things in order to get us to sin. And it can come outward from Satan's hand or it can be a working of our own hearts. And we need to be aware. Temptation meets us. And in our sinfulness, we are often weak to its enticements. And easily led. But at the same time. 
We understand that God is ordering things providentially to try our faith. Back up in James 1 to verse 2 and 3. Well-known verses. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is producing patience so that that perfect work of God's grace may be more and more accomplished in your lives. And, and it's, it's the utilization of that word in the Greek. It's the same word, but it's telling us that God has a purpose in allowing difficult things into our lives to test us, to test our faith in Him so that our faith may mature and grow and we would find ourselves more and more walking in faithfulness to God. And the way God works sometimes is mysterious. Again, uphold this truth. We're not being tempted by God. We might be tested by God. But we're not being tempted to sin by God. God has a purpose in his testings to try your faith. And sometimes that testing by God comes at the hands of Satan. Did with Adam. It did with Job. It did with Jesus. And we're not immune to that. That's where deliver us from the evil one will come in next week. Sometimes temptations can arise as we are dealing with hard trials. And and we, we see what the Lord is trying to do is to strengthen our faith in Him in the midst of these trials. But the temptations that are rising up within us to to not be faithful, to not believe, to not trust God, become more and more pronounced in those times. And again, it isn't that God is trying to get us to sin. God is trying to get us to trust. But the hardness of our hearts is there to deal with. And sometimes God in his permissive will leaves challenges for us in order to test where our heart is. And I only submit these things to you so that you can understand God's wisdom is higher and greater than ours. We don't always know what he is working and sometimes we can wonder, God, why do you make my life so hard? I want to trust you. (laughs) And he's saying, that's why I'm making your life so hard so that you will trust me. So that you will not be trusting in this world and you will not be trusting in yourself but that you will be trusting in me. It's not a catch-22 situation. It's just the reality of parallels that do exist. Always, God's testing has the purpose of proving faith, first of all. You think of that with the parable of the four soils. God says that, With that rocky soil, uh, it sprung up at the message of the gospel. And there was this joy that that fell upon the person uh, at first. But is it real faith? Well, tribulation is going to reveal if it is. (laughs) And if you're able to endure tribulation and, and, and still cry out to God for help, or even if you fall in tribulation and you come back to God and say, God, forgive me, help me to be stronger... Your faith is real. (laughs) But if you come and say, yes, I believe in Jesus, I own him as my Savior, and a very hard trial comes in and you say, well, 
I thought God was supposed to be good to me. I guess this isn't working. This religion isn't for me. Then your faith was never real. And God ordains these kind of trials for that purpose of proving faith. And when you come in and through them, however you end up through them, you you come and you are still looking to God and saying, Oh, God, help me. That's a testimony that your faith is real. It's supposed to encourage you, even in the midst of trial. So God has that purpose of proving faith, but also as well of improving faith. Improving His grace at work in us. And we know this passage as well too. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9. And Paul is saying, I had a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Uh, God was dealing with my propensity to pride. And God said, the way I'm going to deal with your pride is I'm going to give you an affliction that will be with you the rest of your life so that you will learn to trust in the grace of your Lord. God puts that trial there to lead us away from sin and more sin and to lead us to that place where we are trusting in Christ more and more. And I said that before you so that you will understand. Here's something of the nature of temptation that comes and meets us when it's a trial. And the temptation often is to either meet our own needs Depend on ourselves, not to trust in God, or to follow a pattern of sin. And we have, to, we have to see that. The nature of temptation is to work upon our fallen nature to entice us to sin. The work of trials is to try our faith. And there's the difference. And as I note that, I... I also bring us to our second point, and that is our exposure to temptation. And and it's our exposure to temptation that makes this prayer a very necessary daily part of our lives. One of the things that we understand about the Christian life is that we are, and, and this prayer admits these things, we are prone to wander. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turn everyone to his own way. We're prone to that. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's a reality. We are prone to much disobedience and transgressions. Job 13.23 Even Job making this point. How many are my iniquities? Make me know my transgressions and sins. We, we sin every day. We, we know that. And with this prayer, we are asking God, please try to keep us from more sin. <laughs> Lead us away from temptation. We're prone to faithlessness. And even there, we have the example of the apostles. Even the Lord reminding them of the nature of their own heart. To fall away and all the disciples saying, no, well, that, that's not me. I, I won't fall away. I won't turn away. I won't be unfaithful to you, God. And within an hour or two, you know, they, everyone were scattered. Peter 
above all. It's not that we are simply sinning. It's understanding that we are exposed to those temptations to sin all the time. We have an unrelenting enemy who loves to accuse us with sin. Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter wrote this, that we need to be sober, vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion seeking to devour. And, and we have an example of that turning to our text. If anything, uh, our own heart uh, is our greatest enemy. <laughs> we might think Satan is the great enemy. Well, he, he is a conquered enemy. But I think 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 6 and uh, down to verse 12 Remind us that our greatest struggle struggle is with our own heart. With what is within us. Presumption. Like the apostles who didn't think they were going to fall away. But did. In a a relatively short period of time. We may have the desire to be strong and to not fall into sin. And yet a temptation comes along and we find ourselves in it. And we're like, what happened? Well, what happened more than anything is that we lacked that soberness. We lacked that watchfulness. We lacked that prayer. Remember what Jesus said to his apostles, especially when he drew Peter, James, and John away and he was in the garden. What did he say to them when he came back? He found them sleeping when he asked them to to pray with him because the darkness of the hour had come and the evil day for Christ had come. And he said, he said, come and pray with me. And he comes back and they're sleeping. And what did he say? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And, And his words are very specific there. The Lord is saying you entered temptation. It isn't just that temptation came upon you, you walked into it. And and that's the reality about our exposure. We we can't lay the blame always on Satan. We'll get to him next week. But the reality is, is our own heart. And we are exposed to temptations just by our life experiences. We are vulnerable to temptations all the time. It was idleness that captured David's heart and and exploited his lusts. It wasn't a a one-time thing where he went out and and committed adultery and then stepped back and said, how did that happen? Through the idleness of time, his lusts were exploited. He didn't turn away. It was fear That motivated Abraham. A circumstance arose. And it was a trial. But fear laid hold of Abraham. And he lied about who Sarah was. Not once, not twice. And put his own wife into great danger. Because circumstances had turned. It was pride that brought Peter down in his overconfidence. It was sorrow. This this is an amazing thing when you think about the night of of Christ's arrest. It was sorrow that enveloped the disciples 
to such a degree that they stopped praying and watching. Luke twenty-two forty-five. 45, it says, they were filled with such sorrow that they went to sleep. It was frustration that laid hold of Moses to act in anger, not to hallow God when God wanted to bless his people. You see, it's everyday life that's meeting us. And hence this warning. They give, uh, here we're given all these examples of Israel falling into sin. It didn't just happen. Their hearts were being enticed time and time and time again. And these things happened to us as an example. They got to see the mighty hand of God splitting the Red Sea in two and then come crashing down upon the Egyptian army. I don't know about you, but man, I'd love to have seen that. Wouldn't that have been an amazing, amazing, an amazing demonstration? The same thing happened when 40 years later, Joshua led the armies into the Promised Land with the Jordan River. And yet, within three days, they're complaining. And within a couple months, they're committing adultery, uh, idolatry. And with that was a, adultery. And, and, and within a year, they didn't want to follow God. And, and that was through the exposure of life, living in the wilderness. And, and we are exposed to this all our days. And there's where the warning of verse 12 meets us. Let him who thinks he stands... Take heed, lest he fall. Temptations meeting you every day, dear people. Don't be ignorant of that truth. Be watchful. Be sober. And that's where, where we're brought to verse 13, where, where he says, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. In other words, you can't step back and say, I don't know how this happened to me. <laughs> well, it happened because through everyday life experiences, you are open to everyday common temptations that face all of us. In that light, there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to being tempted. Having your inward lusts and coveting and pride being enticed. But the, the thing about this is that God is the one who is faithful. And, and that brings us to our last point, and that is our escape. And isn't it heartwarming when you read verse 13 that God reminds us of who he is in the midst of our tempting and being tempted? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. He hasn't abandoned us to temptation. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And that isn't saying that you will only be given what you can handle. What he is saying there is you're not going to experience a temptation that is, is beyond even God's ability to deliver us. So that you can't say, I couldn't help it. 
Because the reality of sin springing forth from temptation is the reality of our own disobedience before God. It's not because we couldn't help it, but it's because we weren't being watchful, being guarded. We weren't praying. We weren't seeking the help of our God. And even here, and I don't mean that to despair you, but even here we are shown God is faithful. He's got a way of escape. That you can bear that temptation without falling into sin. That's his promise here. You can bear it. And the question becomes then, how can we bear temptation without, uh, without sinning? What is our escape? And this is where, if you want to take your bulletin and turn to the back, and to the larger catechism that is printed there, this is where we are drawn by God's faithfulness. And uh, if you go down to the middle, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in, in the sixth petition, which is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we pray, go to the middle there, if you can find it there, we pray that God would so overrule the world and all that is in it, subdue the flesh, restrain Satan, order all things, Bestow and bless all means of grace and quicken us to watchfulness in the use of them. That's the first part. And secondly, that we pray that we and all his people may, by his providence, be kept from being tempted to sin. Or, third prayer, if tempted, that by his spirit we may be powerfully supported and enabled to stand in the hour of temptation. And the fourth part, or we pray when fallen, we may be raised again and recovered out of it and have a sanctified use and improvement thereof. It's prayer. That's the first thing. We are praying. We are praying what, what even the Lord said, Father, help me. That's what he was praying in the garden. His temptation, his will was, Lord, I don't want to die. Father, I mean, Father, I don't want to die. But not my will. Yours be done. You have the illustration of Jesus in the wilderness when he was being tempted by Satan. The word of God was what stirred up his soul in faith to resist the temptations. Part of our prayer is calling forth God's word to our mind so that what is hidden in our heart will keep us from sinning against our God. Father, come and be my strength to bear up in this temptation that I would not sin against you. Father, grant your spirit to come and give strength to my weak soul. That this trial that is before me does not become a bed for complaint or for sorrow or despair or for coveting or for my lust to be kindled into sin. It's a big prayer. And that's what God is saying. You have a way of escape. I am faithful. I will help you. Pray to me. Just say, God, I'm being tempted and it is hard. Help me. 
And do you think God is going to turn away from a prayer like that for one of his children? That's what he wants. He wants you to see that he is your strength. His spirit will help you powerfully. You know, we hear this phrase about addictions. Uh, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, sex addiction. We struggle with those things. I think the lusts of the flesh uh, equal sometimes the pride of life in, in our inability to resist sin. We have a Savior who knows those life struggles. We have a Savior who was tempted to turn stones into bread when he was starving. And he said, no, I'm not going to listen to the whispers of the evil one that make me doubt that I'm actually the son of God. Pray. We pray. And that's why prayer is so essential. But we also flee. What's, the, what's verse 14 say to us? Therefore, in light of verse 13, in light of this promise, what does it say there? My beloved, flee. <laughs> when temptation rises, turn around. Don't stand there and say, I can do this. I can resist. I will be strong. I will not. Oh, I fell. <laughs> That's how it goes, my friends. That's how it went with Peter. Instead of him saying, oh, Lord, I hope I don't fail you. Please give me strength to stand with you. Lord, be my help. Come with your power and I will stand with you in your strength. He stands there and says, I'm not going to do that. And, and, and I hear this all the time. Uh, I deal with pornography again. It's a big issue within the church, in our generation. It's a tremendous issue in many people's lives. But I've heard Christians who say, I can watch those movies and they have no effect on me. Are you kidding that's a lie. You see that stuff? Click. Turn it off. Flee. <laughs> Flee idolatry. That's what he says. And in fact, that's said so many times. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee fornication. Turn around and run like Joseph did when he was tempted and he was in a place where, you know, as a servant, you do what your master says. And he said, no, I cannot do this. I will not sin against my God. He ran out of the house. He still got punished for it, but he nonetheless fled temptation. 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 11. Flee the desire to be rich. How many of you would love to be rich? Not me. <laughs> well, we live in a day where the government will take it all anyways. But, uh, but you know, we think. I mean... I, you know, I read the stories. They pop up in the news all the time. So-and-so won Lotto Max, this 94-year-old man. He's talking about how his life has changed because he won the lottery. I'm thinking, you're 94 years old. You're going to die very soon. <laughs> I don't know how much your life has changed. But I do know this, that you're going to have a lot of people who want that money. And you're going to be hounded for the last few years of your life. But you know what? You know what? God tells us in 1 Timothy 6, flee that desire to be rich. Flee from it. 2 Timothy 2, flee youthful lusts. Run away. Because again, no one ever just falls into great sin. 
We walk into it. We enter temptation. And we walk into it because we presume in our own ability to be able to resist temptation's power. And the last thing, our escape. And you see it at the end of the catechism, and it is very much a part of it because even with all of our praying and all of our fleeing, we are still going to fall into sin. We're still going to have those moments when temptation does entice us and lead us to sin. But we still have an escape there, don't we? Jesus Christ, our Savior, our great high priest. The escape, the way out is Christ himself. It always and ever is. He resisted Satan's temptations. He overcame in that garden of Gethsemane to fulfill God's will. He went to the cross in obedience to God to accomplish that atonement that we need for all our sins. He is even now in heaven, my favorite Bible verse, interceding for us to ensure that we are saved to the uttermost. That is our escape. Our Lord is interceding to ensure our faith does not fail. Isn't that what he said to Peter? (laughs) Satan's going to sift you, but I'm praying for you that your faith should not fail. And, And it is the Lord in whom we are resting. He is our peace in every trial and testing of life that we we meet. But he is also the author and perfecter of our faith. And you think about that phrase in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Most of you know that verse. Uh, We are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. We stop there, though. But what's, what's the next line? What's the next verse? For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. For you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And he's saying there is you need to consider Christ. You need to have your heart set upon Christ because your uh, labor against sin is not yet ended. It doesn't end. It doesn't end until he brings you into glory. Your warfare then is over. But until then, consider Christ. He is your help, your strength, and he is your high priest to deal with your sins and to give you grace and mercy in the time of need. In Christ, we are learning, growing, striving, bearing against sin. And he is the one who leads us. He is your helper. So there is that prayer, lead us not into temptation. May we uphold this every day in our lives. Let's pray.